Welcome to First Love Online Church with Nyral and O.C. Burnett. Flock is a ministry of First Love Fellowship whose mission is to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can support the mission of First Love Fellowship by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Now get out your Bibles as Nyral and Ulti share on the believer's relationship with sin. Beware of Ravenous Wolves, Part 3. This is all a part of our our series concerning Beware of Ravenous Wolves. (laughs) And so I'm going to turn now to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, all the way up to 15. I'm going to read that verse. And it says here, enter by the narrow gate. I I want us to, to, to hear that. Enter by the narrow gate. Because... The way to to destruction, it says the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. This seems like such a simple teaching. It seems like something that maybe it's been preached and talked about for years, but somewhere along the line in our modern our modern Christianity, it's as though we've stopped speaking about this. We've stopped speaking about the narrow gate, the type of life that a Christian should live in order to please the Lord in everything we do, that there ought to be a holy and reverent fear of God in our hearts that makes us say, I would rather err on the side of obeying God than err on the side of trying to conform to this world, whether or not it's sinful. Let me give you an example. We talked about it Friday. Right. Like like if you want to get a, a face tattoo. Now, we can debate all day about whether or not the face tattoo is of God. Right. And some people before they knew the Lord had face tattoos. Mm-hmm. And so they get saved. They still got the tattoo. There's nothing you can do about that. Preach on, teach on, do the work of God, sister or brother. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the saints that have been in church for years and they go and they look out into the world and they see what the world is doing and they say, well, since the world is getting a face tattoo, I think I want a face tattoo. Mm-hmm. Now, we can argue about the biblical merits of that all we want to, but I would rather err on the side of the narrow gate. Yes. I would rather err on the side of saying, okay, whatever this lost and dying world is, I choose not to be that thing. And if I go too far in holiness, at least I know that won't put me on the wrong side of eternity. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Yes. You ever wonder what that meant when Jesus said few? Like few find that gate. Few find that way that he's calling us to. Very few. Could you imagine? We have throngs of people that are in the church environments today. We have concerts that pack out arenas. I was just looking at footage of one just recently where the arena is packed out around this one Christian artist. And Jesus said, few will find that narrow gate. Few will enter in that way. It says the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Then he says, beware of false prophets Mm -hmm. who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous Ravenous wolves. wolves. Now, the thing about false prophets is that they are often, not all the time, it doesn't happen like this every time, but oftentimes they are the ones that fill out the the conference centers Mm. and the arenas looking for people that they can entrap. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. And so I think it's important that we establish, first of all, that the way that we walk in in Christ is a very narrow way. Now, I am speaking to save folks this morning. I'm speaking to Christians this morning. It's important that we hear that this is for believers what we're talking about this is not an evangelistic message i'm not trying to to street preach or or bring the world to christ remember what we do at first love fellowship we are winning the church church to christ Christ. and so when i want to share with you though something that i i shared with my daughter yesterday 
and that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna, we're going to start there when we talk about the Christian's relationship with sin. So really quickly, let's go off to Exodus chapter 20 and, and, and look at what it says. Exodus chapter 20, as you know, are the Ten Commandments. Now, now, now we have to be careful not to jump to uh, conclusions such as, oh, I heard this already. I know this already. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I don't really have to listen. Mm-hmm. Because you will be held to account for what you've heard and what you've known. And it won't be because you've heard or known it. It will be because you've obeyed it or not. That's right. That's right. So it says in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the first one is what? It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Second one, you will not make yourself idols or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in a water under the earth. The third commandment. It says here, you will not, this is verse seven, you will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, number four. Keep that Sabbath, it says. Then it tells us to honor your father and your mother, verse 12. Next commandment, don't murder. Next commandment, do not commit adultery. Next commandment, do not steal. Next commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Next commandment, you will not covet. These are the Ten Commandments of God. These are the ones that God established when he met Moses on, on, on the mountain. This, this is the law of God right here. When I, when I put my life in comparison to the law of God, I fail the test every time. In fact, James, I think it's chapter one, it tells us that if you've broken even one of the commandments, you've broken them all. Like you failed the entire exam if you've broken only one. Yeah. Now, the problem that we have with this is, and I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself, how do you think God feels about his commandments being broken? Like, well, first of all, how do you feel about breaking the commandments of God? If you can put a smile on your face and go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm just a mess, you know, ha, ha, ha. No, that, see, that, then it's, you've got the wrong disposition. You're not, you're not getting it it's not even a laughing matter it's not even a joking matter right it's not something we can take lightly like i broke the commandments of god and when you turn over to exodus chapter 34 it becomes even more significant because exodus chapter 34 tells us this when god meets moses on the on the mountain he says to moses the following he says The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Wonderful. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Well, wait a minute. I just read the Ten Commandments. And I can only conclude when I read those commandments, I am guilty. And he said here, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. So when we, when, we, when we consider our own sinfulness, we have to ask, well, how does God feel about my breaking his law? Well, he shows it right here. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. In fact, in Psalm chapter 11, we're going to go there. We're gonna, I'm going to turn there. I want to turn to Psalm chapter 11. It says here in Psalm 11, oh, let me get my Bible. Here we go. All right. It says here, the Lord is in his holy temple. This is Psalm 11:4. His eyes, oh, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Can you imagine a God who when he looks at the wicked he says my soul hates you. It's not just that he hates the sinfulness. He does. But imagine being in a state where you're in a position where God's Pure and angry indignance is pointed directly at you. Imagine a God who Jesus even said it in Mark chapter 9. 
imagine a God who at the end of everything, he says something in a way of, he says here, where he describes hell as a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And imagine God meaning that towards you. Imagine God stating that towards you, like, depart from me, you wicked person. I never knew you. Imagine God looking at your soul and sweeping it away in such hatred directed towards the devil and his angels and you yourself being swept away with the same hatred. Understand that in scripture it shows in Revelation that the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire. It shows that the devil himself, that old serpent, that dragon, is thrown into the lake of fire. But at the very end of that scripture in Revelation, if you look in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, it tells us that whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What that means is that there is an eternal punishment that exists that is the will of God. Hmm. There is an eternal punishment designed for the devil and his angels that God wants to happen. But many will be swept up in that same punishment because they follow the will and the way of the Antichrist and the devil and the false prophet and the way of demons. And there was found no place of restoration. Jesus. I was talking to my daughter yesterday and I asked her, we were at, we were at the restaurant and I was talking to her about the gospel. And I told her, I said, if I were to, I was in speaking of repentance, because my daughter said, you know, well, I can just repent. I said, yeah, that's true. You can just repent, but it's not going to work. Mm. It won't. Mm. Now, see, y'all are getting scared. Mm. I'm not giving you something new here. Mm-mm. See, if I was in a restaurant, I told my daughter, and I got up and pulled out a gun and shot someone who was with their family, After I shot them, I could say, now, hold on. I I repent. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Right? What was I thinking? I should have never done that. Created me a clean heart. Renew a a right spirit within me. Right? Like, like, how should that family feel about me? Should they say, oh, well, he did repent, so we got to let him go. No. See, they would have to say, they would have no choice but to say, no, I don't care what you say. You deserve to be punished. And, and, and that's what the word of God tells that's us, right. that God will not hold you guiltless. He loves you, but he will not hold you guiltless. There is a, pen- a penalty for your sin. Whenever we read the, book, the books of the Bible uh, as, as it pertains to the law, whenever we read the law, we have to come to this one conclusion. See, you don't even have it in you to be able to find the goodness to repent. no. no. There's nothing there. The only thing one ought to conclude when they read the law is this. I need a savior. Yes. I need a savior. I'm lost. I'm in trouble. I need a savior. I can't find myself. I can't rescue myself. And so as we know, we have a savior who was wounded for our transgressions. Yes. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the peace we needed to make peace with God was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed, as in the healing that was necessary to bridge the gap between sinful me and the uh, uh, holy God. That gap needed to be healed, and through his stripes, it was healed. That's why we need a savior. Now, 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 I, I was reading a, a story this morning, and I don't know, honey, if you've, you've seen this story yet, but at Auburn University, 200 kids baptized. It's amazing. It's like God is doing something at Auburn, Auburn University where 200 kids were baptized. They all, they ran out of, um, they, they weren't able to baptize everybody in, I guess, the little, little tub that they had. Right. So they went out to the lake on a school property to baptize people. And the anti-religion group called the Freedom From Religion Foundation just absolutely went nuts. 
They got angry about it, saying it was inappropriate and unconstitutional. Now, I'm not going to argue the legal merits of, of a, any of this. Because, you know what? The preaching of the cross was also unconstitutional right. in the Roman Empire. That's right. It's unconstitutional in China. It's unconstitutional in North Korea. Because understand that Christianity was never meant to function in a welcoming environment. That's right. It was never meant to function in a legal environment. I'm saying this because some of us are afraid of HR. <laughs> but Christianity was never meant to function in an environment that would welcome what you said. And so at Auburn University, they're saying, oh, this is wrong. They shouldn't be doing this. And my prayer is, you know what? Let's have 200 more people baptized at Auburn University. Let's have 400. Let's get some professors saved and baptized into Christ Jesus. Let's get some more students saved and baptized. It's amazing how, you know, the, the other religions can can grow and expand all they want to but there's something about christianity that really annoys people but jesus said that he sends us as sheep among wolves and if the world hates you know that it hated him first now i just shared with you a couple of minutes ago the gospel of jesus christ Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus came not to just save you from your sins. He did come to save you from your sins. But the, the, the result of your sins was what? Death. That's right. Jesus came to save you from the wrath, the righteous indignance of Almighty God toward those who have turned their faces against him. Jesus came to save you from God. <laughs> Jesus came to save you from his wrath, the wrath that you and I both deserve. Jesus came to be that eternal intercessor between the fire and fury that comes from the very throne of God and you, helpless, sinful soul. It says that the wrath of God in scripture is revealed from Heaven. It's, it's funny people don't notice that in Romans chapter 1. It says that God's wrath is revealed from heaven. That's right. Because people like to try to downplay the, 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 the character of God. God is a God of justice, and he will see justice upon sin. The great thing is that the wrath that he pours out gets poured out upon his only begotten son. But I'll tell you what. Those who don't receive him, there is wrath yet to come. There is a wrath that is coming that thankfully his children will not be subject to. There is a wrath that is coming that to be a human on this planet is not possible. Even when you look at the at the, uh, the end of things, the, the end times uh, uh, in, in Revelation and, and Daniel, you'll see that Part of the tribulation, there is a wrath that people can survive. But then the other part of the tribulation is a wrath that it's like, I don't know how you survive that. How does anybody survive that? Mm -hmm. You know, so so we are we, we're going to have to be very careful to walk in that narrow gate because we want to be sure that we escape the very wrath of God. I think some people are uncomfortable when we talk about the wrath of God mm -hmm. because they want to be comfortable in their sin. Yeah. But listen, you cannot struggle with lust. You cannot struggle with unforgiveness. You cannot struggle with fits of rage. We have to end our relationship with sin or the wrath of God still awaits you from church. Yes. Going to church Going to family group, going to a small house church or a big cathedral, doesn't matter. It does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is whether or not you've entered in through that narrow gate. If you are walking on that narrow way, because the broad way leads to destruction. I can't stand when people ask me things like, 
well, what kind of music should I listen to? Or what kind of entertainment should I get? Can I look at this? Should I look at that? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I'm like, are you even trying to walk on this narrow way? Like, like, why are we asking how much of the world we can get in? Right. What if we started asking how much of Jesus can I walk in? How much of the power of the Holy Spirit can I walk in? You know, Paul Paul raised the dead when that kid fell out the window. How can I get to do that? How can I get to know God so much that even that wouldn't stop me from, from continuing on? Like Peter was crucified upside down, right? How, how can I be so committed to God that I would be willing to give my very life in that way? Thomas was persecuted and martyred in India. How can I also go to the far reaches of the earth? No, what people want to know is, can I watch the movie if it's PG-13? What many of us are living is not in any way Christianity. So we talked about sin on Friday. We talked about sin being the missing of the mark. And we talked about some of the examples of sin, like I just mentioned. Now, understand that sometimes people want to get theological and they say, well, you know, the word of God is talking about original sin. There's a false prophet out there who's saying right now, right, that, that you know, you don't have to worry about your sins. There's several, actually, that are saying you don't have to worry about your sin. One in particular says you don't have to worry. The first John 1, 9 is not for Christians. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, if it's not for Christians, sir, who is, is it, it for? for? Who is it for? Who, who was John writing to? Was he writing to a satanic coven? Was he writing to a mosque? Was he writing to a Buddhist temple? Was he writing to a society of philosophers who were atheists? No, he was writing to believers. And the warning is if you're a believer, listen, even with all of the standard that God puts forward, there is still a way out. God loves you so much. He says, listen, just admit, just confess your sins and God will be faithful to you and just towards you and will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You know, uh, repentance. Repentance looks like this. This is really hard. Uh, I'll never forget when I, when I learned this, that when you're repenting, you're not just saying, God, I'm sorry. You're saying, Lord, here's my sin. Mm-hmm. But let me not be the, the, the recipient of your wrath toward this sin. Lord, don't punish me for my sins. Punish the spotless lamb, your only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Crucify him. That's what you're saying. When you repent, you're asking that God punish Jesus. You're asking that the punishment for your sin be laid upon Jesus. That's why it says in scripture, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are all healed. Now, honey, I want to ask a question of you. Like, how do you think that sin ruins our relationship with God? Well, you know, one of the, um, one of the things I wanted to even bring out with that is when we think about sin, Mm -hmm. we always think about the major, you know, what we consider major, right? Right. You know, the 10 commandments, they, you know, in your mind, you consider that major, you, you know, um, commit adultery, you know, all of that. But, what I believe that the Lord is highlighting to us are those things that we don't think we've, we've held on so long to them that we think that it's okay that we could get away with it. Such as offense, such as malice, the things that are so deep seated that we don't see ourselves. Um, uh, you know, I, I remember one I read, I think I, po- I posted it on one body, a young lady who, you know, she had a dream that the rapture happened and she was on the side where she didn't make it. And the Lord revealed to her is that, you know, you, 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 re- you chose to, un- you chose not to forgive. And so we, we are putting, um, 
premiums on major sins, such as homosexuality, such as all the stuff that every the world is talking about. Mm -hmm. But I believe my concern is that um, us as believers, we are not putting premium on the deep recesses of our heart, such as pride. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's major. You can lose your soul because you decide to live in pride. You decide to not, you know, and we talked about giving, right? We talked about how the rich man did not make it into heaven because of his heart towards Lazarus. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, um, sin, we have this very minor, not broad sense of, okay, sin, sin in our lives can be more than just, you know, sleeping around, all of that. And that is happening in the body, which the Bible says should not even be heard of, where you're sleeping around and doing all those things. But we're putting premium on things like that and not understanding that our hearts, our hearts, when the way we view each other, the way we treat each other, the way we love each other matters. You understand? Yes. And the, the question you were asking just now, what was the question? That how, how, does, how, does, how does sin affect our relationship with God? Well, you, it causes us not to be able to see, our, see God. The scripture mm-hmm. said, blessed are the pure and the Beatitudes. If we would just live the Beatitudes, if you check your life on the backdrop of Matthew 5 to Matthew 8, or Matthew 7, just 5, 6, and 7. I always tell people, 5, 6, and 7. If you checked your life on the backdrop of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. So if you are not seeing God, if you're not hearing from him, if there's a, 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 um, um, these big words keep coming to my mind, (laughs) my vocabulary, you know, if there is a deficit, Mm-hmm. In your in your um, ability to hear God, in your ability to have a relationship with God, it's because the Bible says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, Amen. and they shall see God." So, when you ask the question of how is it going to affect your relationship with God, you have to have a pure in heart. You have to have a pure heart. Having a pure heart is not an option; it is required. So, in order for you to be able to you know, see God and have a relationship with him, you have to live, you have to have a life that is pure before him. Amen. Psalm 66, 18 tells us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Mm -hmm. Which means that even your prayers fall on deaf ears if you don't have a pure heart like you're saying like if you're not crying out every day lord purify my heart purify cleanse me heart. wash me so, like what david said search me search. and know my heart yes, see sir. if there's any wicked way in me yes and lead me to the the life everlasting you know i, I want to turn really quickly to romans chapter six it says here in romans six one it says what then mm-hmm. shall we say mm-hmm. are we to, to continue in sin that grace may abound. It's like all the hyper grace teaching forgets about this verse. What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, when you tell someone that they're dead to you, mm-hmm. what you're telling them is, listen, I no longer exist to you. Mm-hmm. We have nothing to ever speak about again. And I don't suggest you ever say that to anyone on earth. But what I'm saying is that's what people do. So when we say that we're dead to sin, what that means is our relationship is over. Hmm. Yes. And there is no chance of it coming back again. Yes, Jesus. Jesus. He said, how shall we who are dead to sin still live in it? Which means that if you are still living in sin, you're not dead to it. Now, I know sometimes, let me help some of us. I know sometimes we stumble, we fall, we do things mm-hmm. wrong, mm-hmm. we mess up. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not the fact that we stumble and fall sometimes. It's when we stumble and fall and we're callous to the idea that we've stumbled and fell. Right. 
David in Psalm chapter 51, if you see the raw emotion in that psalm of how he felt about what he had done. Yes. You can see the heart of a person who did something terrible. But he wasn't callous towards it. He wasn't callous towards it. What we tend to be, though, is callous toward the sins we commit. We take it lightly as though it's something that we can just do and move on. So, yes, there are the major sins. You know, you can sleep from one bed to another with one person to another. Jesus. with All types of sexual sin. And then just live on, go to church next Sunday. I know people who, you know, they'll go to club on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday and won't even allow repentance to come to their minds. There are people who will live in offense and bitterness and anger, unforgiveness, pride, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and it won't even come to their mind. I have to repent. I have to come back to Jesus. I have to change. Or I cannot afford to stay in this state. Oh, my goodness. Do you understand what's at stake here? What's at stake is that while you're still struggling to forgive someone, your very feet could be dangling over Jesus. the fires of hell. God, and understand that God will allow you to go to hell from church. He will allow it. I don't see anywhere in scripture that says that Ananias and Sapphira were unbelievers. <laughs> I don't. It seems that they were among the church, but they had a selfish agenda. They had a way about them that was interested in me and me alone. They wanted to be seen a certain way. So there must have been some point in time when the church had somehow influenced them and they began to gather among them, but they brought with them their unrepentant, selfish agenda. It says in the scripture here, still in Romans chapter 6, Verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Because I did read the Ten Commandments and I can just see people saying, well, you know, that's the law. We're free from the law. Hmm. The scripture says, may it never be. Hmm. Do you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. If you yield your members in this chapter, members speaks of your body, yield your body to sin. It says here that you're a servant of sin. What you do with your body matters. And I don't think enough of us understand what we do with our own bodies. I know you say, well, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling there. It's difficult. It's hard. But no struggle you have compares to the fiery flames of hell where Jesus said the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It says here, thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. You were. But if you are obedient to the teaching that you're getting, if you just give ear yes. to the, the, the preaching of righteousness and the righteousness of God, if you ask God by his Holy Spirit to enable you to live and walk in the narrow way, then there is reason to be thankful unto God because you're not a slave to sin. But I don't care what you say. You can say you're a servant of God all you want. You can talk about how you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and, and you're a servant of God and a man of God, a woman of God. You can say all that. But if you yield your members to obey sin, then you are not a servant of God. You're a servant of sin, which leads to death. Which means, I think in Revelation it tells us, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Like if your soul is, is, is cleaving unto death, what that means is that your eternal destiny is the same as the eternal destiny of death and Hades, the lake of fire. Yes, this is a fire and brimstone message. I think we tried so hard for so many years to get away from the idea of fire and brimstone messages because it made progressive liberal Christians sad when you preached about it. But we need to get back to the idea that fire and the brimstone mm -hmm. 
is not a made-up story. No, it is not. It is very real. And it is something that lies before so many people that are sitting in church. It's sitting right in front, and we don't know the hour of our transition. Jesus. But it's sitting right in front of us. So many of us who are sitting in church, we don't understand that our moment can come. And we are yet in our sins and singing hymns and worship songs, maybe preaching, maybe leading worship. How do you lead worship and then sleep around with your girlfriend afterwards? How does a pastor have someone leading worship on their worship team who they know is living with their girlfriend or boyfriend? How does a pastor allow someone who is unrepentantly homosexual to function in any leadership capacity in their church? How? It's because you don't care about the destiny of their souls. Your acceptance of it affirms the idea that they can walk in the Broadway and somehow lead to life, and that is not true. Living in holiness is not a comfortable position, but Christianity was never meant to be easy. It was never meant to make you comfortable. And listen, it was never meant to make you happy. It was never meant to do that. In fact, Jesus says that this may come with tribulation. Mm -hmm. This may come with the world hating you. This may come with you losing everything. What are you going to do if your Christianity now starts making you lose things? What are you going to do if your Christianity is starting to make you suffer and your prayers for deliverance from the suffering are not being answered and yet God is being faithful to you? What are you going to do when Christianity becomes inconvenient? Because I'll tell you what many do. They avoid that kind of Christianity and they embrace their relationship with sin and they act as though somehow their sin will make them comfortable enough to where they can do just enough sin to blend in in the church, but be just enough of a Christian to not completely blend in with the world. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, 16, he says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What do you think that means? When God says, I will spit you out of my mouth, do you think he's going to spit you into another side of heaven? No. Mm. He will summarily reject mm. you. And by the way, in Revelation three sixteen, when he was saying that, he was talking about a church. It was a church he was speaking to. Yeah. Laodicea was mentioned in the epistles yeah. as a church. This wasn't the gathering of unbelievers. That's why I don't know where we get this idea that somehow if you're in church that you're safe. You're not safe. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, our callousness, Jesus. our unrighteous opinions? Jesus. They are not enough to cause us to escape the fiery pain of hell that awaits ahead for those who hold the truth and continue to walk in unrighteousness. No, no. And I know that I want this to be hard. Yeah. I want this to be hard to listen to. I want this to be what, what, what they used to say, an, an inconvenient truth, mm -hmm. that hell is real. Someone says, well, can you prove that hell is real? Well, all you have to do is wait. <laughs> I don't have to prove anything. So here's the hope of it all. First of all, there is a way out. There is a way out of the bondage and corruption of your sin. There is a way to escape. But it's going to require that you do not neglect this great salvation. Whenever I am walking in such a way that I'm a bit too carnal or my mind is going places I know it shouldn't go. Um, whenever I get to a place where my thinking I know needs to change or my actions have been just too much, um, if I've committed a sin or done something horribly wrong in God's sight, my go-to scripture is Psalm 143. It says, hear my prayer, O Lord, 
give ear to my supplications. Answer me in thy faithfulness and in thy righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in thy sight no man living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me to dwell in dark places. How many of you have been there where you are a believer, you are in church, but you are dwelling in dark places like those who have been long dead? See, I understand what that feels like. I understand what that's like. What I'm communicating to you is the way back to God. Yes. Therefore, he says, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. Verse four, my heart is appalled within me. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy doings. I muse on a work of thy hands. I stretch out my hands to thee. My soul longs for thee as a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide thy face from me, lest I become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in thee. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in thee. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Let thy good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of thy name, O Lord, revive me. In thy righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In thy loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Yes. I want you to meditate on that psalm. Investigate. We're not going over all these things this, this morning. But I want you to investigate everything that the psalmist is asking of God in Psalm 143. Because this is part of the way back. The other part is this. When you pray, begin with repentance. I was saying on Friday, you know, don't just sit there and speak in tongues. No, mm-hmm. you, you, you sinned in English. You need to repent in English. Mm-hmm. Repent before God. Get your heart to a place where your spirit is broken. Pray yes. until you were able to weep Jesus. over your sins. All of A lot of us are weeping over what other people have done to us, but we've not learned how to weep over our own sins. And I'm asking of you, weep over your own sins. Cry out to God. And if you can pray over your about your own sins and there is not a longing and a weeping in your heart, then you've not yet prayed about your sins. Your eyes are still not open to where you are. Weep over your sins. At night, you should be sitting there yelling into your pillow and crying out to God. I don't care if you have to leave your job in the middle of the afternoon during lunchtime. Go into your car and weep over your sins. Because that's what a prayer life looks like. To weep over our own sins and return to the Lord. Also, fasting. Mm -hmm. I've learned that if I realize that I'm walking in a bit too much carnality, I need to go on a fast. And it's not like a fast of I'm going to go on a three-day fast. No, it's like I am fasting until I can get to the place where I am weeping over my sins. See, you need to get to the weeping over your sins part before you can open up Psalm 143 and start quoting what it says. If you just go to Psalm 143 and start quoting what it says, right, you'll, you'll just you'll just callously go over the psalm. Mm-hmm. But if you in fasting and prayer begin to weep over your own sin, like I will not eat another morsel of food. This is not one of those gourmet Daniel fasts where we see how much weight we've lost. No, this is like I'm not eating another morsel of food until I actually feel this thing. What I actually, I can actually feel the, the, the result and, and see myself what I really am and what I'm really walking in. Not another morsel of food. I have to weep over my sin. No, I can't talk to you on the phone right now. No, I can't you know, go back and forth with you on social media. I'm shutting everything off because this is now between me and God. My relationship with God has to be restored. Weep over your sins. Because unless we do these things, how do we know that we're not yet in our sins? Jesus. How do you know? You can, you can be walking in so much pride. You know, pride stops you from repenting. What if you were to fast and say, Lord, I know by my actions that I've sinned. I know by my actions I've done wrong. Therefore, I'm putting my plate down. 
until I have the capacity in my soul to weep over my sin. Once all is done, and I th- it was uh, Desiree Soap um, who, who said this on Friday, that another one of the Psalms that was really helpful to, she, to her was, was um, Psalm 32. And it seems like that's the end of it all. It's after you've wept over your sin, after you've cried out to God, after he has restored your soul, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, with all the talk about the lake of fire, hellfire and brimstone, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched, there is another side to this story. It's the story of blessing to the one who has wept over their sin before God, to the one whose transgression is forgiven. It is possible from right where you are to be restored to right relationship with God. But yeah, there does need to be tears. There does need to be a groaning and a weeping over one's own sins. And when you do that, believe me, the Lord he hears you and he wants to bless you and he wants to be a father to you and he wants to love you with an everlasting love. Did you have anything that you wanted to share? I know you. Yes. Uh, I posted last night this um, several. I read these often of people's um, experiences being at the gates of hell or heaven and Voltaire, I want to read his in particular. These are these are um, famous atheists' last words before death, because sometimes a lot of people are under this, you know, this idea that they'll have time to repent before they get to their deathbed. Like you know, if I if I immediately before I die say God forgive me, then you know. I'm I'm okay. Voltaire, famous anti-Christian atheist, and I quote, I have swallowed nothing but smoke. I have intoxicated myself with the incense that turned my head. I am abandoned by God and man. This was at his deathbed. He said to his physician, Dr. Fortune, I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six months of life. When he was told this was not possible, he said, then I shall die and go to hell. His nurse said, this is his nurse, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long, he cried for forgiveness. That just, I mean, there's many emotions that I feel when I read these stories of people at their deathbed. And you, David Hume, atheist philosopher, famous for his philosophy of empiricism and skepticism of religion, he cried loud on his deathbed, I am in flames. Hmm. It is said his desperation was a horrible scene. These are the things that we have to, we have to understand Hell is not to be played with. Right. Hell, you cannot use the excuse that my mother and father brought me in sin, and this is all I know, and I I don't know any way out. We have to be sober about preaching about the gospel and preaching about hell, and also not skipping it when we preach the gospel. Right. Yes. Because this is supposed, yes, you're supposed to feel fear and trembling. But somebody will say, but hell is not the gospel. I'm like, listen, you don't have good news without bad news. Yeah, we got to know what, what, what's at stake here. We, this, I have good news for you, but, you know, we got to know what's bad. We have to know it. We cannot, you know, and, and, and that's why I'm praying that, you know, as we preach these messages, you know, when people or Jonathan Edwards or people... Sinners in the Hand is a book called right. Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. That when people heard this, they were gnashing teeth either in anger or in, my God, I am in sin. If you do not have that 
thought that you, my, I'm in sin and I am dying in my sin and I do not want to go to hell. I question your conversion because it's not about you just feeling bad. Oh, I, you know, I cursed. And so come to the altar. Jesus loves you and he wants you. But if you do not have bona fide, true repentance that you want to turn away from this thing, how are you saved? If you continue in your your unsaved state, in your pride, and you're going to church and you're leading worship, and you think you're okay, and you're not, and that's why many people are ending up with mental issues. You can't even talk to them anymore because they don't even see their state, and they will agree with you. But God has already put the, 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 there's a plumb line coming, people. There's a plumb line coming where if you are not, if you do not repent for your sins, child of God, it's time to turn away from your sin. It's time to turn away from the, the, the wrath, the anger, and, and turn away from the, not the wrath of, of God, but turn away from your your state of sin, your, your ways, the ways that causes God not to be pleased with you. We have to come back to the place where we weep over our state of sin. We must come back to that. Yes. There's the scripture. I, I love what you said. You know, we have to preach the gospel and include this, this idea that there is a hell that awaits those who don't know God and who do not obey the gospel of Christ. That's what Thessalonians tells us in those words. And then Peter goes on and tells us, it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, the gospel we preach today says it's not his will that any should perish, but everybody should come to Jesus. And I'm with you. Like, okay, that's good, but that's not what the scripture says. Many people are coming to Jesus, but they're not coming to repentance. Yeah. And they're getting a gospel that's saying, come to Jesus and God will bless you. Come to Jesus and God will love you. And it's not complete. Come to Jesus, repentance, sinner. Jesus, Jesus. Come to repentance, you lost one. Jesus. Turn from your wicked ways, you transgressor, you liar, you murderer, you thief, you pervert. Come to repentance humble yourself in the sight of the lord and then and only then will he lift you up but if you do not humble yourself if you do not turn away from your wickedness you will remain in your sins jesus jesus it is not his will for you to go to hell but for everyone to come to repentance but friends there will come a certain time when all things are clarified in the hearts and minds of every human being on earth the day of the summation of all things will come where it is time now for judgment to happen. And God's just judgment is indeed God's will. It was never meant for you to go to hell. Jesus. But God himself will send you there because you have chosen to hold on to your sin. There's a question somebody has often that they'll say, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? My answer to that question is always, how can a loving person reject a loving God? (laughs) How? How can you do it? Literally, we're rejecting the love of God so we can hold on to their sins. How can a loving person hold on to the stench of their sin? If you're so good, if you're so much better than God, then flee from the wrath to come. Can you find a way to do that without him? You can't. It's only through Jesus Christ. But flee. I want to read this one. It says, Sir Francis Newport, head of an English atheist club, to those gathered around his deathbed, quote, you need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one and that I am in his presence. You need not tell me there is no hell. I feel myself already slipping. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Oh, that fire. 
Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon the fire that is never quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer the end of my torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity forever and forever. Oh, this insufferable pangs of hell. That just, just the thought of never coming out of that forever. It breaks my heart. And Christians, I don't care whatever anybody's preaching out there right now. You better make sure you check your heart every day. Make sure you seek the Lord and ask him to unearth every and any area of your life that is hidden from you so that you won't be surprised about it. And the thing is, those people that said that they've had these experiences with him, they said when Jesus confronts them about their sin, they cannot deny it. They cannot say, no, that's not me. Because every time for every single person, they knew in their heart that what Jesus said, they did. They did. And there is no argument. There is no excuse, the Bible says. You are without excuse, oh man. And I want to say this to those of you that are watching. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Confession will bring your sin out of the dark because you think it's in the dark, but it's not. People see your sin on you. I was playing somebody's music, worship music, several weeks ago, and people can discern that although he's singing worship, they could sense the homosexuality in his music. A lot of you think that you're hiding your sin and you're just singing because you still feel the anointing. Right? It's like Samson. Samson was able to go and sleep with these women and still shake himself because his anointing was still on him. But when it was taken away, he realized that his strength was gone from him. So stop playing with God. Stop playing with God and thinking that your sin is hidden. You are leaking. Your sin is leaking, is leaking into your music, it's leaking into your preaching. Mm. You cannot afford to be in pride. It's leaking into your pride. It's leaking into everything that you're doing. You cannot afford to stay in sin. The time of repentance is now. Fellow churchgoer. This morning, we're calling you to repentance. We're calling you to know Jesus. The days are coming where you're going to be challenged with every belief you have. And it must be undergirded with a relationship, an actual relationship with God. Not the ability to talk about scripture and not actually live it or sing about it and not walk in the things of God. But you're going to be challenged in the days ahead. The days ahead are evil. I don't know if you can sense this at all, but it seems as though something on the world stage is about to happen. And saints, just like it was with COVID, the saints weren't ready for COVID. COVID happened, and we were saying this back in 2018, 2019, like something is about to happen. I don't know what it is, but something's going to happen. Then COVID happened, and everybody was closing down their churches. How much gospel was not preached? How many souls were not reached because you closed down? Not just closed down your churches, but literally just stop doing the work of God. Are we ready for what's coming next? Because what's coming next, I don't believe is going to be like COVID. It's going to be worse. And we better be ready. But this time, we're not complying to what the world tells us to do. 
We're going to continue to bring this gospel in full authority and power, and we're not going to stop, not for one day. This gospel of Christ needs to be spoken and declared throughout yes. the world, and yes. we're not going to allow the yes. world to make it seem as though there is no importance to this gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be like the people at Auburn University, this the Center for Religious, uh, from Religious Freedom or whatever it's called. Uh, we're not going to allow people like that to close our our mouths and no. stop us from communicating this gospel because too many people are destined for hell and we are called to pull them out of the fire. Yes. And if that inclination is not in you, well, I need you to check to see if you're even saved. Yeah. Because I'm prone to think you're not. There is an urgency here. You must know the Lord. You must repent for the kingdom of heaven is indeed at hand. And today is the day to do that. Today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think I'm, I'm done. And I think that, that we're both, yeah. this, we're going to conclude this message. Yeah. But listen, we know there's hope. But it starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. If you're not there where you can weep over your own sins, then it's time to go on a fast until you can weep over your own sins. Then remember Psalm 143. Remember Psalm 32, finally. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Let's take this journey back to God. Let's stop trying to fake things and make believe we're in a place that we're not. Listen, God sees through all of that. You may fool me, you may fool my wife, but God sees through all that. Let's not make believe to be in appearance before men as though we were righteous. No. Let's actually approach the throne of God and become, by his grace, in right standing with him. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now, Lord, that Jesus. your church hears this message, whether they're listening to us live or they hear us at some Jesus. other time when this message is broadcast. Lord, if it's the last message they hear, I pray they hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I pray, Father, that you keep it ever present in our minds that Jesus Christ is the only way the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Let it be so concerning the churchgoer. Let the believer's relationship, the Christian's relationship with sin be ended and their relationship with righteousness be established. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus. Well, thank you so much for joining us today there's so much that God has in store for you and I believe he will fulfill it but don't forget repentance restoration of your relationship with God is the most important thing you can actually support the ministry and work of first love fellowship by going to wearefirstlove.com just go to the giving link there and you can help us to continue the work that we do to bring the gospel to the world um, we're here to win the church to Christ. And we do that because we realize that there's so much of the church that is lost. But unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living are the things that we carry in order to bring the church to Christ. Yes. I want you to help us to do that. We have a mission. And I believe the link is up on, your, in the, in the, on the screen there. Um, just go to the link and and join us as we continue to bring the work of God to this earth through winning the church to Christ. Amen. It's wearefirstlove.com forward slash giving. Or you can go to our givingfield.com forward slash firstlovefellowship um, to give. And I believe those are the only two places you can give. If you have any questions about giving, for those of you that are part of First Love, you're free to give that way, or you can actually send a check 
to our um, to mail a check to First Love Fellowship 7122 South Sheridan Road Suite 521 Tulsa, Oklahoma 74133 I, I, I just I just remembered that for those of you that want to give cash um, or check really check um, you can do that and our address is on our website as well Amen well, thank you once again for joining us this Sunday morning. And I pray that you take heed to what you've heard. And until next week, be blessed. We do love you. And we thank God for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Your generous support enables us to continue to fulfill our mission to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can offer additional financial support by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. Always remember your first love.